are going to be in Malachi again, uh, chapter 2. We're going to almost finish up chapter 2, so you'll want to turn there in your copy of Scripture. I did want to make one quick note. Um, there's a little table out at these main doors where we come in, and they have. Uh, we're going to start doing this. They have a little, uh, this is called the first quarter missions update from the Mission Council. So if you're wondering, I mean, look at this. If you're wondering some of the things that have happened just in the first quarter, you can take it and look at it, pray over it, and rejoice um, as you take a look at these things. This is in addition to our budgeted mission amounts. This comes out of our special mission fund in which people contribute to. So pretty exciting. We're going to try to do that once a quarter. We'll see. We're, we're going to make an attempt. So anyway, thank you for taking a look at that if you are interested, and thank you for, for giving, of course. So the question that we find today in Malachi is why are we faithless? But before we get to the answer of that in Scripture, I just wanted to take you back a ways. There's a man that was named Edward Gibbon. He wrote, and maybe you've read this, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. He wrote that in the 18th century. Did anyone ever read that? Bless your heart if you did, because you're weird. No, I'm kidding. It's a six-volume work. I mean, you got to really love it. Sam, did, Sam, Sam probably read it, all right. It, he wrote about, he distilled it down to the five reasons why the Roman Empire fell. You remember that indestructible Roman Empire? Well, it fell. And here's two of the five reasons. Number one is rapid divorce. He listed this as the first and foremost reason. As a result, the dignity and sanctity of the home was completely undermined, which is the basis of society. And then another one of the five that he listed and wrote about was called the decay of religion. The decay of religion. At that time, Christianity uh, was ritualistic and lifeless. That's what it had kind of be become for many. Faith faded into mere form and became impotent to guide life. Now, these two of the five reasons... This is from a historian who was not a Christian, but yet he identified those things. This is a guy who had nothing to do with Christianity. I find that quite interesting. Gibbon concluded that Rome did not fall because of enemies from the outside, but rather it imploded from the inside. Well, why would I bring that up today? You're a history lesson. Well, it's not because I'm a history buff. I brought it up because we should take heed and we today should take inventory. And Malachi in this passage speaks to both of those reasons. Both of those reasons that were written there, he speaks to that. Now last week we saw the corrupted leadership, do you remember that? Of the priests. Man, that was a hard sermon. The sermon about the leaders. Because I are one. It's, that's tough. I mean, that, that was a hard one. We're going to share the wealth a little today. Are you ready? Yeah, we're going to look at, uh, at, at more than just the corrupted leadership of the priests. You see, often lax and licentious leadership leads to faithless followers. Today, we look at the faithless people. Let's pick it up. Chapter 2, verse 10 through 16. Don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has acted treacherously, and a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. 
For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. To the man who does this, may the Lord cut off any descendants from the tents of Jacob, even if they present an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. And as we see in Malachi, here comes a rebuttal question from those people who are not following the Lord, right? Yet you ask, verse 14, for what reason? We might say, huh? And the answer is swift. Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have acted treacherously against her, though she was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't the one God make us with a remnant of his life breath? And what does the one seek? A godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully. And do not act treacherously against the wife of your youth. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, watch yourselves closely, carefully and do not act treacherously. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us today. That is our prayer. We might learn, but more than that, we might have life change. I'd ask that you'd meet each person today where they are with what's going on in their life. God, we thank you that you're the God who answers questions. And so we're grateful to study today in your name. We pray, amen. I would say something to think about a principle this morning as we get going is this. Unfaithful treachery toward God and others does not plead God, does not please God, period. Unfaithful treachery towards God or others this just does not please God, period. And as you know, God is, is the same yesterday, today, forever, right? God is not changing. We are the ones who change. God doesn't change. So that's still a truth today. So we want to look at this today. All right, a couple things this morning. Number one we find in 10 and 11 is the idea of being unfaithful to our faith family. Now, I don't know where Dane wandered off to, but he actually prayed and used the term faith family in his prayer and either he's a really smart guy or he maybe he looked at the sermon notes ahead of time I don't know but we this this is how this passage begins is this this unfaithfulness to to these others to their faith family the prophet begins right in verse 10 with two questions calling on the people to recognize their faith family you see those two questions right at the beginning and and they state that God is their one father their creator. The word create is key here. It's the same word used way back in Genesis 1 when Moses wrote of God. You remember it? Way back. God creating the heavens and the earth. Same word. It's, the, it's as if the Lord, through these questions, is effectively saying the only reason you people are created as a nation, in fact, the only reason you exist as a nation is because of me that's it don't get too big for your britches don't try to do it on your own the only reason you faithless people is because of me please note that every time the word 
create is used in the Old Testament. It refers to God's sovereign authority. And we see that. Don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? So Malachi's message is simple. Don't forget where you came from. Do not forget where you came from. And don't forget who is the one who called you. Well, why is this important? I'll tell you why it's important. Here's a pithy little principle for you today. Forgetness will lead to faith uh, to faithlessness. I almost said faithfulness, sorry. For, forgetfulness will lead to faithlessness. I want you to think about that for a minute. Thus the people's question in 10. And uh, in, in my version, it says treacherously. A lot of versions say that. But in the ESV, it gets it, I think, the closest when it says it this way. It's from the ESV. Why then are we faithless? That's the word. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? So we encounter this word faithless or treacherous. Depends on your translation. We, we find it five times in this passage. You go ahead and look. You'll find it five different times it's listed. Well, what does it mean? It describes failure to fulfill one's promised obligations. It means to betray another. It means to literally break faith. That's what it means. This word is related closely to another Hebrew root word, uh, translated garment. In effect, what the people are doing in their treacherous, faithless dealing with each other, they're breaking faith, and, and when you think of garment, they're involved in a cover-up job. And I would say sin is always that way, isn't it? Sin is really good at doing cover-up jobs. And so... This scripture is clear. It says their actions profaned God's covenant. They did not practice what they professed. Their talk, their walk did not match. They acknowledged God as their father, but they would not translate that into their relationships with their faith family. I would say they were hypocrites, as most faithless people are. Do you see what's going on here? Right off the bat. Listen. You're treacherous. You're faithless. Your actions with the people that you're supposed to be with, your faith family, it's not there. Of all people, it is not there. Let me give you a couple scriptures, if I could, today from the New Testament. Actually, more than a couple. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about others. Would you just think about others in your life right now? I mean, I, I have the best view in the house. Are you aware of that? Even better than online viewing, they get some different shots, and you guys have, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was up there. That's, we're going to have to get rid of those new projectors and screens. They might show my bald head. They do, don't they? Why haven't you told me about this? Wow, I wouldn't have worn this shirt. Look at that. Okay. See it? There it is. What bald spot? What ball spot? I have, I, have no, I have no idea what I was talking about. No, I do. I have the best, see, I remember. I have the best seat in the house, or, or best bolt in the house. Look, I can look out and see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, look, of others who are part of a faith family. Look around your area. Would you just do it right now? 
Smile while you do it, please. Just look around. Now, I'm, I'm going to sit here. Some of y'all are still staring at me. You didn't move your neck. Look at someone around you, in front or behind around you, and just realize the relationship, the special relationship that Christians have with other Christians. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? Now, we're not all best friends. I understand that. But we can go up to each other. We have that connection. Faith family. They were faithless. Listen to Philippians 2.4. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Is that clear enough? Romans 12.15 in the first part of 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Romans 15, verses 1 and 2. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. And not to please ourselves, each one of us must please his neighbor for his good. Why? To build him up. James 2.8. Indeed, if you keep the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Why are we talking about this? Why is a prophecy here? Because it's a problem. It's an issue. I don't know about you, but sometimes we have to have a little effort, don't we, in working on those relationships with others in our faith family. And not only were the people here failing to honor their covenant, remember they're profaning the covenant, their covenant relationships with one another, they're being unfaithful to God himself. And the scripture shares the prophecy. It's kind of strange. Did you, did you catch it? I mean, this is a very specific item that's listed. They are marrying, it's if they're marrying the daughter of a foreign god, thus profaning the Lord's sanctuary. Well, we're going to get to marriage and divorce in a minute, but let's set up that first, all right, one another. And then we move to 12 and 13, and we see, secondly, that they're faithless or they're unfaithful to our faithful God. Oh, it gets worse, not just to the faith family, but to our faithful God. To the man who does this, may the Lord cut off any descendants from the tents of Jacob, even if they present an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. How in the world did that happen? Well, it was because of their sin. It was because they were faithless towards God and all that he had done, his covenant with them. And we see in verse 12, they were continuing to sacrifice to God despite their sin. I'll say it this way. They're, they're continuing to do church. Now, I'm not abdicating you quit doing church if you've got an issue with God. No, keep doing church, but confess the sin. Repent of the sin and let God work in your life. Renew the relationship with God. You, you remember how that is, right? We're saved. Here's God, here's up, right? Remember that? And then all of a sudden, sometimes it feels like this, doesn't it? But it's not like this. Here's what it's like. It's like this. We moved. God didn't. They just continue right on with their religion, despite their sin. This verse speaks, though, of the consequences of dis disobedience to the Lord. And I'm going to tell you that right now. Now, a lost person obviously does not obey the Lord. And there's obviously a very severe, severe consequence that comes in eternity. It's called hell. However, for the Christian, disobedience to the Lord brings 
swift consequences. Have you ever noticed that in your life? Oh, maybe nothing bad on the outside happened, but you get miserable on the inside, do you not? Are any of you like me? When you disobey the Lord, there's guilt. That's a good sign. You're a believer, by the way. There's guilt, and there's consequences, and it may look okay on the outside, but on the inside, oh, there's that turmoil going on. I want to take you back to a, a, a case study, if I could, real quick, as we think about being unfaithful to our faithful God. Let's go all the way back to when, do you remember Saul, the first king? When Saul was king, when he was chosen to be king through Samuel, the prophet, God provided Saul a drastic and straightforward plan. This is crazy. This is scripture. If you want to write it down, it's 1 Samuel 15, 3. Here's what God tells King Saul. Now go and attack the Amalekites and completely destroy everything they have. Do not spare them. Kill men and women and children and infants, oxen, oxen and sheep, camels and donkeys. Okay, parents, have fun with that verse this afternoon with your kids explaining all that. I would just say as I read this, what in the world is going on? What in the world is happening here? I'm going to tell you what is happening. The reason for such specificity and utter annihilation that God is requiring is solely because God didn't want his people, didn't want Israel to be distracted. We could say it this way, to be influenced by unbelieving pagans. That's pretty serious, isn't it? It's pretty specific. And what did Saul do? Well, King Saul followed God's plan. To a T, except for a few minor details. Do you follow God? Are there a few little exceptions, though, that you throw in every now and then? Hello? Some, you guys are either under conviction today. <laughs> You're just looking at me like, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to agree with you. I'm just going to look at you. No. Here's some of the details. Saul took some of the spoils of the land for himself. Wasn't supposed to do it. He allowed the Amalekite king to remain alive. Wasn't supposed to do it. He took some of the cattle, the sheep, surely thinking, we don't want to waste. It's not good stewardship. We don't want to waste that livestock. You see, he didn't really follow God because he had exceptions. And I would say we don't really follow God when we have exceptions to what God has called us to do. Well, how do we know what God has called us to do? Read it. Pray about it. Speak to other mature believers about it. And we can know. So what happens in this story? Well, Samuel the prophet then has to confront Saul. And Saul explains his reason for taking the cattle and the extra negligible items. That he's, well, I'm going to offer them to the Lord. It's a sacrifice. And Samuel's response is piercing. I pick up the story. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Then Samuel said, he's talking to the king, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Listen to this. Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of ram. You see how clear that is. Apparently, in Malachi's day, the priests and the people 
had not learned this lesson from their own history. This is their history, and they had not learned it. Neglecting God's clear commands by chasing after foreign wives resulted in their offerings being rejected. Now, we don't have time to get into that because this is a sermon. It's not a seminary class, but I want you to, you, you can go and study what they were actually doing. It's crazy what they were doing. It's crazy what they were doing to their wives, their covenant. It is crazy all this thing that was going on. And they were doing all of this, chasing after foreign wives. In verse 13, we see that they are in anguish. Have you ever noticed how your sin um, makes you uh, not always feel so good? You might be in distress. And here's what's funny. We might go around to others looking for what? We're, we're looking for a salve. We're looking for others to comfort us. And really, we're, we're kind of wasting our time because our sin is not comfortable. Being in sin without confession is not comfortable. And that's where they are. They are in anguish. The Scripture says they are not just crying, but they are weeping. They are groaning. And in verse 13, it's clear God's mind is made up. You be faithless, unfaithful to me, your covenant God. And he essentially responds to them in this way. I have cut you off from my presence. He's very clear about that. Those who were guilty would be cut off from God's people, would be cut off from God's covenant blessings. He would no longer accept their offerings. And I believe they were guilty of hypocrisy. It's not new today. That's not something that's new today. It's been going on a long time. They were outwardly weeping, but they had no intention of inward change. No matter how loud they cried, God would not accept. And I want you to think about that. There's a difference between being sorry for your sin and true confession and repentance. Are you aware of that? You're sorry you got caught. You're sorry this happened. And you have no intention of really dealing with it and true repentance so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah, I don't know if that's true in your life. That's been true in my life. Something to think about. Oh, it gets better. Let's move on. Verses 14 and part of 15. Uh, there were faithless or unfaithful in our marriage. So here's where we get, they ask, they basically ask God, why? Why are you doing this? And his response. You see, the men of Israel were guilty of unfaithfulness to their wives. They were committing adultery with unbelieving foreign women and marrying them. And they were divorcing their own Jewish wives to do so. Now, that's a historical fact, and we're going to talk just a little bit more about that. But here's what I want to say before I get to this section of Scripture. In generations past, I have heard of preachers and sermons that took this and created a false doctrine. And so I think you'll get it when we're done with this. And if you were taught that, I pray you would repent of what they taught you. But here's what I want to say about this. Marriage with a member of another people group is problematic in the Old Testament, not because of the different race or ethnicity of the spouse. 
okay? That's what I've heard preachers of old preach about, and that's just stupid. It's just wrong. They're, they're, they're mishandling Scripture. It had, this foreign idea had nothing to do with race or ethnicity. Here's what it had to do with. The reason they couldn't do it, they weren't supposed to do it, was because of the competing spiritual commitments that that person would bring to the marriage. Are you hearing me? Now that applies today. You think about it for a minute. Now, note there is an exception to the rule in the Old Testament, and the exception proves the rule. Have you ever heard that before? Here it is. You remember the Moabite, the foreigner? Her name was Ruth. Married to Boaz. I saw Ruth right there, so sorry. All right. Why is that exception to the rule? Because Scripture is very clear. Her testimony is right there in the book of Ruth. What? She had devotion to the Lord, to Creator God, the God of Israel, our covenantal God, Yahweh, the one in the Bible, the God who saved us, right? So there's the exception to that. The problem here, though, I want you to hear me, church, today, is not foreignness or difference. But the problem is they had devotion to a foreign God. We could say it this way. Such a spouse has a different spiritual father. Hello? Such a spouse has a different worldview. Hello? And I want to just tell you right now, this is free right here today. Singles? Teenagers? Listen to me. Take note. Don't do it. Don't do it. Marriage is not a missionary opportunity. I could line up countless people who married someone that did not have the same spiritual father, someone who was lost or part of another faith that was a faith that did not believe in the God and the Bible. And it's just difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult. Don't do it. That's how we can apply that today. If you're a Christian, guess what? Whom should you marry? Go ahead. Say it a little bit louder. That's what should happen. That's not just in the New Testament talking about that. We see it right here. That's why the prohibition was there. And I wanted to make sure we got that. I wanted to thwart this idea of, well, because she's different than me or she looks different than me, I can't marry her. No. It's about the spiritual father. It's about the worldview. Is it biblical? Is this Christian and Christian? Okay, can you tell I got worked up? Man. It just drives me nuts. I was not, listen, I was taught this. It wasn't until I was in seminary and I'm, we're on a, a landscaping crew, three of us seminary guys, and we're going down in the old Ford pickup, headed to the TCU area where the nice homes were to cut the yards and trim the bushes and all that. And there walked by at TCU a couple. And they, boy, did they look different. And I popped off and said something. The truck pulled over. I knew I was in trouble. The driver, he was working on his PhD. But it was the guy in the middle that looked at me and said, Explain, explain what you just said. Show me, show me in the Bible where you get that. And I began to stammer and whatever. And so it became real, 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 real to me at that point. And maybe you were taught that and you grew up with that. Let's let it go. What's the big deal, Lamar? Well, Mark 10, 6 through 9. These are the words of Jesus. Listen, Mark 10, 6 through 9. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. You with me so far? 
for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother to be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. These are the words of Jesus. He's quoting scripture there. Here's some more words of Jesus. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. These are the words of our Savior. God, listen, this is pre-fall. Are you aware of that? I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of the culture stuff that's out there, it's easy for me personally to shoot it down. Why? Because this stuff is pre-fall. This is before sin. It has nothing to do with culture. Culture didn't come till after sin came in the world. And our culture is a sinful culture. And guess what? We're sinners who live in a sinful culture. But this is pre-fall, okay? God could have made many wives for Adam, but he did not. Oh, Lamar, what about all the wives in Scripture? What about Solomon and all that? No. God created Adam. There was no sin. And guess what? One wife. And it was God's plan that they would have children. Or as our scripture says here today, did you catch it? The purpose of it? Godly offspring is the term. That's what God's plan was. What? That they would have godly offspring that they would rear and teach about the Lord. That's your job if you get married. And you have children. That they would be godly, godly offspring. Well, how in the world would that happen? That you would rear them and teach them about the Lord. And let me tell you something else, parent. It's not enough just to bring them to church and take them to kids' ministry or with Dane and student ministry or you just having a family Bible study or whatever you do. It has to at some point become their faith. They have to make a mistake or two. They have to have a question or two. It has to become their faith. Or guess what? They'll go off to college. Not, not these girls, okay? Not the ones that were here today. But they'll go off... And you've seen it. They go, right? Bunch of your testimonies, I've heard them. You went off and what happened? It's got to be their own faith, okay? It's serious business here. And then Malachi goes on with the prophecy of the Lord and says, we must guard our hearts. Listen, I, it's so clear here looking at this example that he's talking about in 14, the first part of 15, is we must guard our hearts against that which will destroy our love for our spouse. Now let me speak to that just for a moment. If you're the offender, you must do things and take action to guard your heart against doing that that would offend or hurt your spouse. If you're not the offender but the one who was offended... You must guard your heart and ask God to help you deal with that and not develop a root of bitterness and other things which could cause you to be against your spouse. You see how that works? Remember, the two become what? One, let not man separate. We are to have the same commitment to our marriage that God has in keeping his promises with us. And I don't know about you, but that's a lifelong job, isn't it? to continue to work towards that. I want you to remember something as we think about marriage vows. And, and I don't care whether you did it in Hoppentown Church or another church or out in a beautiful backyard in a gazebo or the justice of the peace, whatever it was. The Lord is a witness to our marriage vows. God sees all. So God's questions have an obvious answer. It was this, you people are faithless in following 
God's standards for marriage. Can you imagine? They were divorcing the wives of their youth, committing adultery, and marrying pagan ladies. The key being pagan. That was separating them from their biblical worldview. That was separating them from what they had with the Lord. Well, let's move on. Last point and we're done. <laughs> I wrote it this way. Stop acting unfaithfully. Stop is a command word. God commands. He says, watch out and do so carefully. Verse 15, last part, and 16. He says, watch yourselves carefully. And then at the end of 16, he says what? Watch yourself carefully. He says it twice. It's as if God is saying this. You men have been faithless to the precepts of God, to the people of God. You've been faithless to the partner of your marriage. Now, pay attention. I want you to follow my instructions. And church, I want to tell you, you can take it to the bank. Okay? It's as if God is saying that. Follow me. I am the faithful God. You can take this to the bank. This is something that I do not want to happen. He says right here, listen, I am God. I hate divorce. It is comparable to smearing lies and treachery on your clothes, which is the deplorable act. He's saying, don't do it. Well, let me close. This is not a short closing, so don't close your Bible or your ears. I want to remind you, by the way, brother or sister who's not divorced, before you begin to point your finger at another person who is divorced, you better look at your own life to determine any ways that you have failed God, any places that you have fallen. Okay? Can we do that? We're supposed to be brothers and sisters. So what are we to do? Here it is. If we are faithless in any of these areas, if we are unfaithful, if we're struggling in, in these areas, we must look. And we must look up, and we must look to the faithful one. And his name is Jesus. You remember Jesus? He is the faithful one. He is the one that has been faithful to us. Here's some application in the area of marriage. I've got four things real quick. Remember that marriage is a gift from God, but not a given for all people. Remember that marriage is a gift from God. It's not a given for all people. Singleness is legitimate. Number two, remember to always work on the marriage commitment. That is so winsome for, I was going to say those of us who are younger, I can't say that anymore. But for out, out in the congregation, I'm looking at, at younger folks who are married. What a blessing to hear from someone who's got grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Hey, I still am working on my marriage commitment. What a blessing for a 20-something, a 30-something. In the midst of all this, not having time, this marriage, because i got all these kids running around and everything, to hear that from you, okay? Always work on the marriage commitment. Third, remember to focus more on the biblical idea for marriage rather than the few exceptions for divorce. 
Man, I've had conversations about the exceptions. How about we focus on what the biblical ideal is for it? And number four, remember to avoid. Here's how I'm phrasing it. Remember to avoid interfaith marriages. Do you know what I'm saying after what I've said? It's like you want to have the same spiritual father. Okay, are we good? And here's the perfect example. I'm reading about, I'm just starting to read about him in my Bible reading. It's King Solomon. He is the perfect example of the one who did not avoid interfaith foreign gods marriages. The smartest dude that lived on the planet, God granted him with the special dispensation of wisdom that, I'm sorry, even if you have a Ph.D., or you've taught the Bible for 40 years. None of us competes with the wisdom that Solomon had. And yet, look at what happened. He did not avoid this. Wow. I would say it this way. Marry a Bible-believing Christian. Not just a Christian, but a Bible-believing Christian. Okay, that was on marriage. Here's three things I want us to apply today. Let us learn from these folks in Malachi. Number one, let us admit we have commitment problems with others. Let's just admit it, right? Isn't that the first step? Admitting the problem, admitting the sin. We have commitment problems with other people, and God stands ready and willing to work in our lives. Secondly, let us admit we have commitment problems with God. Let's just admit it. We're not perfect. We're sinners. Let's admit it. And obey and see what God would do. And number three, let's admit we have commitment problems with marriage. Again, we're not perfect. I want you to remember this, church, today. Even though people were unfaithful to him, we see it right here. Even today, we can move it right to today. Even though people, God's people, are sometimes unfaithful to him, Jesus remained faithful. Can you think about that for a minute? Jesus remained faithful all the way to the cross. Why? So that he might redeem you and me with his shed blood. Jesus remained faithful all the way to his death by crucifixion. Have you read about that? It was not pleasant. It was obscene. He was in the hands of professional murderers and torturers. And Jesus remained faithful. This is the story of the gospel. This, Jesus, is the standard for faithfulness. This is the confidence of our salvation. This is our only hope for mending broken relationships. Look to Jesus the faithful one. Now, we've talked about God's people having troubles with the faith family, with God, his covenant, with the marriage institution. But let me tell you this. For some of you here today, some of you listening online, you've not yet looked to Jesus, the faithful one, for your salvation, we call it. For the fact that God had a rescue plan and sent his one and only Jesus to die for my sin and for your sin.
and that we can repent, we can turn. God gives us the faith to do that. It's his gift, and we can run to him and ask for forgiveness. And God can and will save you, and he will become your Lord, the person who controls your life. Doesn't that sound like a good deal? And yes, in eternity, there's heaven with God. But also there's life and purpose and meaning right now, today, here on planet Earth. Look to Jesus, the faithful one, for salvation. Christian, look to Jesus for help with relationships within the faith family, your relationship with God. Look to Jesus and your relationship in your marriage. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord for tough passages of scripture. Thank you, Lord, that you can teach us. And I pray today that my words were not heard, but your word was heard. And that we might be a little different today. We might be changed as we go out than when we came in. God, today I pray for marriages. You would build them up, strengthen them. God, I pray for Christians that we would interact well with you and others, that we would be marked by obedience to you. So help us, Lord. We thank you for your mercy and your plan, your grace, your love, your patience with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.